All right, Romans chapter 11, and uh, we left off at verse 13. So I'm going to go ahead and open up in prayer, and hopefully we can get through the rest of the chapter today. Lord, where do, where do we even start? Where do we even begin? Sometimes it's, it's really intimidating coming to you in prayer because we just come almost always in a formulated way, whether we mean to or not. And it's hard to just come at a, in such an intimate way. But Lord, we know that, that as your word says, and it is true, we are nothing without you. Not only that, we can do nothing without you. And in this, the confines of this carnal flesh and carnal mind, we can't understand anything. So we need your grace and your spirit to be shed upon us, to open us up, to illuminate us, so that we can understand your word. And as we understand your word, we understand you better. And we know how to worship you and how to live for you and how to please you. And what you expect of us, how we can reach out uh, to the world. Lord, I just pray that you would just shred every false illusion that we have erected and built up to protect ourselves, to make ourselves feel better, to excuse ourselves of doing the hard things, and help us to see ourselves the way we really are through your word. Because the letter of James says that your word is a mirror and it reveals to us how we really are. And that's what we need to see because we don't know what to change unless we can see what needs to be changed. And we just ask that in regards to your word. We ask that your Holy Spirit be our teacher and our guide today as we go through your word. Because we are 2,000 years removed from this document, not only through language, but through, not only through time, but through culture. And sometimes it makes it difficult because we can't help but to have a certain pair of glasses we view the world with. And sometimes that, those glasses we view the world with is, is bias. And so, Lord, help us to see your word in its entirety and in its truth. We thank you and we ask these things and give thanks and praise in Yeshua's name. Amen. So we're going to be tackling the olive tree, which the olive tree has always represented Israel. And uh, that stems from Jeremiah chapter 11, verse 16, talking about how... Um, Israel is is like an olive tree. There's other allusions to Israel being an olive tree, I think also in Ezekiel, if I'm not mistaken, and through other parts of Scripture. So this isn't something that's strange to the Jewish believers that Paul's writing to, but we also remember that it's a mixed bag because there's Gentiles, meaning uh, former assimilated Jews and Hebrews, but also pure Gentile stock that's lumped in with Romans which they may have a little hard time understanding these things that the Jewish believers know so well. So it's almost as if the Jewish believers are kind of a, explaining things to the Gentile and assimilated uh, uh, population in these congregations. So in verse 13, Paul says, But I am speaking to you who are Gentiles, insofar as I am an emissary, that is, an apostle, to the Gentiles, so if Paul's the apostle to the Gentiles, who is the, the apostle to the Jews? Who is considered the apostle? That's right, exactly. He was the apostle to the Jews. And it's interesting that at one point, Paul gets on Peter's back saying, look at you, you're a hypocrite. 
you're acting like a Gentile. And I'm almost wondering if he didn't mean you're acting like a, a, a Gentile Jew, like an assimilated Jew. You know, at first you're hobnobbing with those that are that are call themselves the circumcision and, you know, and you're hobnobbing with them and leaving these guys out. But when they're gone, you're, you know, anyway, so it's kind of interesting. So uh, Peter is the apostle to the Jews and Paul is the apostle to the Gentiles. So it says, I am an emissary, an apostle to the Gentiles. I spotlight my ministry. If somehow I might provoke to jealousy my own flesh and blood. When he says my own flesh and blood, he means those that are born, died in the wool, Jewish people. Pharisee, Sadducee, you know, they're just they're just born into it, they're steeped into it, they're died into it. If somehow I might provoke to jealousy my own flesh and blood and save some of them, for if their rejection leads to the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance but uh, life from the dead? Now, why, why were they rejected? Did God renege on his covenants that he promised Israel? So why are they rejected? They're rejected because of their disobedience. They're rejected because, number one, they're disobedience to God's laws, but number two, disobedience not only to the written word, but the living word, because they ended up rejecting Yeshua, who is the culmination and fullness of the written word. So um, let me just read that again. We'll get, get into it. But I'm speaking to you who are Gentiles insofar as I'm an emissary, an apostle to the Gentiles. I spotlight my ministry if somehow I might provoke to jealousy my own flesh and blood and save some of them. Uh, for if their rejection leads to, re to the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance but, uh, but life from the dead? So remember the movie Cool Runnings? The Jamaican bobsled team, man. What in the world do the J Jamaicans have in, you know, a winter sport? They don't live in a country that sees snow. You know, they don't live on an island that sees snow, but yet they wanted to be a Jamaican bobsled team. And they kind of took the world by storm. But what ended up happening is they did so well that they provoked the other countries to jealousy. Say, hey, you weren't born into this. You, you don't really know anything about this, but you, you, you were self-taught, you trained yourself, and you become better than we are. So that means we have to go back to the drawing board and become better than you are. It provoked them to jealousy. It provoked them to be better at what they were born into. And it's also kind of the same with MMA. You know, you have somebody that's a champion. They are on top of the world. They hold the title, and they've been holding it for, for you know months or years. And then some young whippersnapper some young pup comes along and kicks their butt so what does the champion do does he boohoo and whine and go sulk in a corner no he's like okay where did i make my mistake and how did i let this young guy get the better of me i've got more in my arsenal than he does how did he beat me he figures it out and becomes better he goes back training and he trains harder than ever before and then he goes back and says i want to challenge you again this isn't over and so we can kind of see the same thing is that if these Gentiles are coming in and keeping the word of God better than the Jews, and how do you keep the word of God better than the Jews? Because the Pharisees were great at it. Even, even when Jesus told the apostles, he's like, look, if your righteousness doesn't exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees, you will no wise enter the kingdom of God. And they're like, well, how do we do that? Like they're, they're so, their experts are so good at it. What Yeshua was getting at, they were good at the, uh, keeping up the appearances.
the outward appearances, the letter of the law, which there's nothing wrong with that. But if the letter of the law has no spirit behind it, it's dead. You know, it's just a bunch of functionary ritualistic actions that really doesn't mean anything. So basically what Yeshua was saying is like, you've got to be better on the inside than they are on the outside. So it's kind of the same, provoking to jealousy. Um, I'm going to look at my notes here. Now, verses 13 and 15 kind of hint at Ezekiel chapter 37, 15 through 28, and Isaiah 11, 13, or 10 through 13. Um, so basically, God blessed Israel to be a light to the nations. And that was from the, that was even before they became the 12 tribes. That was Abraham. I'm going to bless your socks off, and you're blessed to be a blessing. I'm going to bless those who bless you. I'm going to curse those who curse you. So they were meant to be the light of the world because the rest of the nation's gone rogue. They were put under the managerial authority of the angelic realm who rebelled against God and fell and posed themselves as false gods and drew worship and attention away from Yahweh, the one true God. And these nations gone rogue. And God says, Israel is mine, they're my nation, and I want them to be the forerunners to bring light and to bring these Gentile nations back in. So God blessed Israel to be a light to the nations, but number one, they refused. They refused to do it. You know, it's kind of like when, we're, when you're in a crisis situation, let's say there's a food shortage or a gas shortage. Well, people hoard those things. And you may have enough to feed an army, but man, you're not going to give it out to anybody. You refuse, but you can help other people by that. So Israel was hoarding the light of God. We're going to keep God all to ourselves. And the Jewish people are still doing that today. You know, we're not going to let anybody convert. We're not. We're going to make it hard for people to convert. We're not going to let anybody in because this is an exclusive club. And so even people that are part of the lost tribes, they're making it hard for them to return and to come back to be part of Israel. So God blessed Israel to be a light to the nations, but they refused and they failed. Because once they got set up in Canaan, they were to be a light to the nations. And once Canaan was ousted out and defeated, they still had these other nations that weren't part of Canaan that needed to be evangelized and needed to know the one true God of Israel. And God was always about evangelizing the world because even in the temple, there was a place called the court of the Gentiles. And that is where the Pharisees set up shop to sell their sacrifices. And that's why Yeshua, Jesus, was so ticked off and twice cleansed the temple because he's like, you, have, this is called a house of prayer, but you've made it a den of thieves. You're keeping the Gentiles from coming to know my father. So clear this out. You have no business being here. There's nothing wrong with selling sacrifices. You've got to get your sacrifices from somewhere, but you don't need to be selling them in the temple, in a place where the Gentiles were supposed to be occupying and worshiping. I mean, think of if a Gentile came to try to find the one true God and they just heard all this bizarre business flea market chaos around them and they couldn't even concentrate or get quiet enough to, to focus on God. Boy, that's a little bunny trail, but anyway, here we go. So they refused and they failed. So when God wants something to be done, he's going to get it done one way or another. So they did not want to be willing missionaries, willing lights to the world. They became reluctant lights to the world in the fact that God used their rebellion and their captivity as a result of their rebellion, which was prophesied and told to happen in Deuteronomy chapter 28. If you don't keep my commandments and you don't do what, what you're supposed to, you're going to be carted off into these other nations. Well, guess what? They kept their cultural identity. They kept their faith. They kept their religion in captivity. And as a result, they became reluctant missionaries. 
because the, the nations that they went into captivity to saw them worship their God. What a great witness Daniel and his three Hebrew friends were to the Babylonian Empire. And as a result, Nebuchadnezzar converted. He got saved. You know, so they become reluctant missionaries. And that's been kind of the history of Israel. They're, you know, we Jews are a stiff-necked people. And, you know, we, we, we obey God kicking and screaming sometimes. Now, another way that there was reluctant missionaries, this wasn't necessarily during exile and captivity, but sometimes things in, in Israel got so hard that people had to move out and find occupations in foreign countries, kind of like New Brunswick. How many guys has worked at the mill and it's just not enough or worked in the woods and it's not enough? So they go to the oil sands of out west and they go for months at a time to earn enough money to provide for their families. Well, similar things have happened uh, where, where um, Israelis and Jews moved from Israel and went uh, uh, to other places. So we find some of the Jewish people in Moab. And as a result, you had uh, Jews marrying Moabite women. But yet even God used that to bring about his purpose of evangelism and his light to the world. Because Ruth the Moabitess, not a Jew or an Israel in any way, shape, or form, married one of these Israel or Jewish men who died. And she was so in love and infatuated with that family and with the God they served, she didn't see any purpose of staying in Moab. She didn't see any purpose in worshiping the gods of Moab. And she told, and she told uh, Naomi, uh, Ruth told Naomi, wherever you go, I'm going to go. Your God is going to be my God and your people will be my people. She was evangelized because of the, the reluctant missionary that God made his people. And as a result, she is in the lineage of Christ Jesus. Two Gentile women are in the lineage of Christ Jesus, Ruth being one of them, Rahab considered the harlot being another. We also have Jonah as a reluctant missionary. Go to Nineveh. Huh, heck no, I'm going the opposite direction. I'm going to Spain. Yeah. Well, well, why do you want me to go to Nineveh? These, these Ninevites killed our people. Like, I hate these guys. Well, go because I'm going to bring judgment upon them. All right, God. You know, I mean, after he had that three day and night you know, in the belly of the fish submarine ride and got puked up on dry ground, he was still a reluctant missionary. He didn't preach repentance to the Ninevites. He preached destruction. He says, you guys are toast. You guys are going to fry. And he left and he went on top of a hill waiting for the fireworks to take place. But instead, his ultimatum of destruction caused these Ninevites to repent with prayer and fasting, sackcloth and ashes. And he's like, I knew it. I knew it. I knew you were merciful, God. I knew you were going to forgive these people. <laughs> Reluctant missionaries. All right, so let's move on to verse 16. Okay, in verse 16, if the first fruit is holy, so is the whole batch of dough. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. That is taken from Numbers chapter 15, verses 18 through 21. But even it reminds you about what Yeshua said, that you will know a tree by its fruit. You know, if the root is good, it's going to produce good fruit. If the root is bad, it's going to produce bad fruit and be cut down and be thrown into the fire. But if some of the branches were broken off and you, being a wild, wild olive, gra were grafted in among them and became a partaker of the root of the olive tree with its richness, don't boast against the branches. But if you do boast, it is not you who support the root, but the root supports you. 
You will say then, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. True enough, they were broken off because of unbelief. And you stand by faith. Do not be arrogant, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. Notice then the kindness and the severity of God. And we'll just kind of stop right there. So we have this olive tree representing Israel, the 12 tribes. And because of unbelief, because of disobedience, these branches were broken off. And remember how I said in Jeremiah that, that, that the 10 tribes were divorced. You know, they were divorced at one point. So he was breaking off branches right and left. And then the Gentiles coming in, accepting, accepting the Lord and accepting his word and accepting his instructions, they were grafted in kind of contrary to nature because I've been told that it's very difficult, if not near impossible, to take a wild olive branch and, and, and graft it into a cultivated olive tree, a domestic olive tree. It usually doesn't work that way, but God does it. And so now these wild olive branches you know, are brought in and they're like, hey, yeah, we feel great. You know, look at us. We're privileged. We're part of the cultivated olive tree. And he's like, hey, hey, don't don't get boastful, because if you disobey and you go the route that the broken off branches have been broken out, I'll rip you right out, too. It don't matter. And he's like, it's not, you know, you, you are not supporting the tree. Oh, look at us. Look how great we are. No, the tree is supporting you. It's the roots, it's the foundations of God's people, God's word, that is supporting these grafted-in branches, whether they be assimilated Jews who've returned to the faith or just pure Gentile stock that have come back and returned to the faith. Uh, okay. Looking at my notes here. Yeah, okay, we about covered that. Yeah, we're whipping along here. All right, so verse 23. Notice then the kindness and severity of God. Severity towards those who fell. But God's kindness towards you, if you continue in his kindness, otherwise you too will be cut off. And they also, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in. For God is able to graft them in again. For if you were cut out, that which by nature is wild olive tree, and grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these natural branches be grafted into their own olive tree? So these, these natural branches that were broken off, God didn't count them out. You know, and, 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 and when you break a branch and you don't graft it into something else but lay it to the side, it's going to dry up and it's going to wither and it's going to die. So there's another miracle that takes place here because these dead, dry branches that were broken off are grafted back in and they spring back to life again, which is impossible. It's contrary to nature. But see, God has grafted in these wild olive branches for the purpose of provoking jealousy in the natural branches that were broken off so that they will want to be grafted back in and cultivated back in. But yet they're dead and dry. How's that going to happen? Ezekiel 37, about the dry bones coming to life again. It's, it, it's, it's kind of mixing two different analogies, if you will, uh, two different word pictures. You've got dead olive branches, which they're useless. The only thing they're good for is kindling, firewood. You know, and, and dry bones, they're really not good for anything, just to be buried. Uh, you can't even grind them up and, and use them in the soil because they're just dead and dry. But yet God is able to bring these dead bones to life. He's able to, to rejuvenate these dead branches. And so that was the whole point of provoking Israel to jealousy, to see the influx of Gentiles keeping Torah, keeping God's word better than them and say, hey, why did we ever give this up? We want to be a part of this. 
you know, and a little bit jealous because it's like, hey, look, you know, these Gentiles coming in, this was given to us, you know, this was just by grace and adoption that they got it. It was ours first. Let's take back our inheritance kind of thing. So um, verse 23 that I pointed out before is kind of referring to Ezekiel 36, 24 through 28. And verse 25 is referring to Genesis 48, 19. Now, um, all right, let's see. Okay, we're, we're going to read 25. For I do not want you brothers and sisters to be ignorant of this mystery. Well, it's a mystery because it, it defies logic. It's a mystery because we don't understand how logically or scientifically it can happen because you can't regraft a dead branch into a live olive tree and it come back to life. So that's kind of the mystery, so to speak. For I do not want you, brothers and sisters, to be ignorant of this mystery, lest you be wise in your own eyes that a partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles have come in, and in this way all Israel will be saved. Uh, so in verse 25 that we just read, the fullness of the Gentiles, remember that passage I read, I can't remember which class it was, but talking about Galilee of the Gentiles, Galilee of the nations, how the prophecy said that they would see a great light, which is basically saying that these, these 10 tribes have become all but Gentile in their way of thinking, feeling, living, and acting. And there's some scholars and some people believe that, that the Gasserine or the Gadarenes was a lost part of Gad. And if that's true, they were herding pigs. And, and, and Yeshua cast out the, the legion of devils from the man and put them into the pigs, which, which if these Gadarenes were really lost Gadites, they had no business tending pigs anyway because it's totally against you know, the, the culture. So the fullness of the Gentiles. So this Galilee of the nations where it says that I think it was a Zebulun and I don't know where, where it says it has seen a great light. Well, that was partially referring to the 10 tribes becoming assimilated and becoming all but Gentile. And so the fullness of the Gentiles is talking about the returning tribes, but also talking about those who want to tag along with them too. Because we see history repeat itself because when the, the 12 tribes left Egypt, they had tagalongs. They had the mixed multitude, which became a part of Israel. The laws for them were the same as the laws for the native Israeli. They didn't have two separate rules or two separate laws. They kept the same sacrificial laws and the same, you know, uh, civil codes and all this kind of stuff. So we're kind of seeing this repeated here in the fullness of the Gentiles of the assimilated Israel coming back, but also the pure Gentile stock who wants to tag along like the mixed multitude did when they left Egypt. So God's plan A was he wanted Israel to be missionaries. God's plan B was reluctant missionaries, and we've all kind of already discussed this. So verse 26, and in this way, all Israel will be saved. The apostle Paul, Rav Shaul, could be very well quoting from the Mishnah, which the Mishnah was the foundational document, which eventually became the Talmud. The Mishnah was oral traditions and oral laws of the rabbis that they didn't want to see lost. So they ended up writing them down, and once they were written down, other rabbis came along and commented on the original writings 
So that became what is known as the Talmud. So it says all Israel will be saved and all Israelites have a share in the world to come. This is quoted from the Mishnah and the Tractate Sanhedrin in chapter 10 of that. All right, uh, lost my place here. Okay, and in this way, all Israel will be saved as it is written, the deliverer shall come out of Zion. He shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. And this is my covenant with them that I will make, that I will take away their sins. Okay, so this is what is meant by Israel will be saved. Um, and I already said it was the return of the 10 tribes, but also the tagalongs, the mixed multitude of the pure Gentile stock. So step one, Israel hardened, was hardened because of their refusal, refusal of Yeshua the Messiah. Step two, Israel will remain hard until the fullness of Gentiles, assimilated Jews, and pure Gentile stock that come in and provoke the broken off branches. Uh, to jealousy and step three because of the love and mercy of believing gentiles all israel will be saved because now we have a gentile majority uh, that believes in yeshua that's keeping god's covenants that's keeping god's instructions and they are actually helping non-believing jews return to israel and return to, to the faith you know, you have flights of Russian Jews being brought back or Jews from the Sudan or parts of Africa being flown back to Israel and uh, becoming a, a part of Israel again. So step three is because of the love and mercy of believing Gentiles, all Israel will be saved. So it's just a, it's just a crazy plan that if you sat down and tried to plan it out yourself, you probably wouldn't have made these decisions or went this route. But God did. He uses crazy and wild out of the way things to uh, to uh, bring about his will. So these verses in 25 and 26 and 27, they're quoting um, Isaiah 60, 21 and uh, 59, 20 through 21 and 27, 9 and Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34. And the, especially Jeremiah, it's talking about the renewal of the covenant, which is kind of hinting about the bringing back of the ten tribes and that God divorced because Jeremiah talked about that divorce and bringing them back in and renewing that covenant, renewing that relationship. And we know by Torah that couldn't have happened unless Yeshua died and rose from the dead to become a new man because once a woman is divorced and she marries somebody else and let's say that husband dies, she can't, he can't take her back. She's been defiled. Okay. So we know, we kind of know we're in the end of days because of the tribes returning and because of a messianic revival. So, as you know, uh, I have been to the lost tribe of Gad through the Ibu people. Ibu is a corruption of the word Hebrew, and they are predominantly Gadites, and they have woken up in exile to who they are, and, they've, and they're coming back. And we see this with Manasseh. There's a part of Manasseh that's in India. Uh, you know, there is a part of Levi that's in um, Ethiopia, and or what was old Ethiopia. And so we have these tribes that are waking up people. They are people that have assimilated into the cultures around them, but at the same time, they're still not fully accepted or welcomed by the people that are there. So you, there's something always different about them. So these have become are the lost tribes that are returning and coming back. So we know we're the in, in the end days because the tribes are returning, but also a messianic revival where there are Jews that are coming to Yeshua in droves. 
like never before. And this kind of, you kind of seen it in the 60s, because I think with the, with the Jesus movement and the hippie movement, a lot of Jews started waking up that Yeshua was the Messiah. So you had kind of a surge of Messianic Judaism, but at the same time, it's not like you could go to any big city across the country in the United States or Canada and find a Messianic synagogue. You, you just didn't. You know, there might have been one in like New York or in parts of California or in big places like that. But now virtually every single state and province has a messianic synagogue, if not a home synagogue. That this may be a word of mouth and not advertised. But it, it's it's all over. And not only are Jews coming back to uh, the faith in Yeshua through a messianic way, in other words, keeping their customs and traditions of the Jewish people, but accepting Yeshua. But Gentiles are tagging along and wanting to be a part of it too. Actually, probably, um, I don't know, some may say that the majority of the messianic movement is Gentiles coming in because they're so infatuated and in love with the old uh, Hebrew ways. So we know this is part of prophecy being fulfilled. Now, verses 28 through 32 it's kind of, again, blowing away the replacement theology that we talked about at the beginning of the chapter when it says, I say then, has God rejected his people? Has he? May it never be. So this thought is kind of continued on in verse 28. Concerning the good news, they are hostile for your sake, but concerning chosenness, they are loved on account of the fathers. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. So God is not, and I hate to use a term like this, but you know what I mean when I say an Indian giver. You know, God is not, he doesn't renege on his covenants. He doesn't say, oh, I'm going to give you this. And it's like, oh, no, I'm going to take it away. And so this is one of the reasons why I so strongly believe that the temple is going to be rebuilt. That the Levites will once again be sacrificing in the temple. Because God made a promise to the Levites because they got no land. The only inheritance was the sacrifices. And that was how they kept their, their families fed and clothed. So it's not like God is going to say, oh, just because I brought J Jesus along, I'm going to just yank that away from you. Because even after Jesus, Paul the Apostle sacrificed in the temple to complete a Nazarite vow. So these sacrifices are, are, are reminding us of the Messiah. Because every sacrifice typifies Yeshua in some way. So before Christ, all the sacrifices pointed to the prophetic Messiah that was going to come and redeem us. All the sacrifices that take place after he came reminds us of who of, of you know Yeshua who came. Uh, okay, so again, th this is just blowing away this replacement theology. Concerning the good news, they are hostile for your sake. But concerning chosenness, they are loved on account of the fathers. Because of God's promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Judah and Israel is not being rejected. No matter how rebellious they are, no matter how far off the rails or how much in, in, in disbelief, because he's eventually going to bring them back through jealousy. For the gifts of God and the callings are irrevocable. So, uh, you know, there's a lot of uh, uh, denominations out there who say that the church has replaced, the Gentile church has replaced Israel, and that's just not true. Verse 34, just as you were once disobedient to God, but now have been shown mercy because of their disobedience. In like manner, these also have now been disobedient with the result that because of mercy shown to you, they also may receive mercy. So this is all this provoking to jealousy we've been talking about too. For God has shut up all in disobedience so that he might show mercy to all. Now, the, blind, the, the blinding of Israel, the blindness of the Jews, what is the reason and what is the purpose of that? It's kind of like a magic show, kind of like an illusionist. 
So when you see an illusion take place, you're just like, wow, like how, how I, I don't understand. Like it doesn't make sense. How does that happen? How did this, how did this guy do this? And so you're mystified by it because you're blinded because of the illusion. That's why it's called an illusion. Because illusion, you know, the, the hand is quicker than the eye. Your eye is misdirected while the hand is doing something else. And then the illusion takes place and it looks like something miraculous happened when it really didn't. But yet, let's say somebody is exposing that magic trick or somebody is exposing that illusion. When you see how it's really done, you're like, whoa, your mind is blown. It's like, oh, wow, I never saw that or I never realized that. So the blindness of Israel is so that one day they can be like, whoa, wow, and their mind is blown. And then they just readily accept it. And so that's how, you know, one day Israel is going to be saved because their minds are going to be blown because they're going to, their, their blindness is going to be taken away. Just like the blindness of illusion is taken away when a trick is revealed. But this ain't going to be no trick. Um, all right. So, all right. Verse, verses 33 through 36. Wow, we're whizzing through this today. Good. Um Oh, the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how incomprehensible his ways. Well, duh, because we're finite. Well, duh, because we're fallen human beings. It's like an ant looking up at us trying to comprehend this giant human being that they're seeing. They just can't. So all oh, the depths of his riches, it's inexhaustible. Both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. It surpasses us because we have finite limitations. We have an ending point to our knowledge. And it's like I was praying with a friend today. You know, it's like, God, how much we love our children, but how much more you love our children. We care about our children, but we pray and act as if you don't care as much as we do. But you care more because you're infinite. Because you have an infinite capacity to love our children. Our capacity is finite. You know, yes, the Bible says we love our children. If they ask for bread, we won't give them a stone. If they ask for a fish, we won't give them a snake. But yet we're evil. We're finite. We're fallen. And God loves more, more intimately and more exhaustively than we do. Both the wisdom and in the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments. How unsearchable are his judgments. He makes laws that doesn't make sense to us. and We actually think they're stupid. These are called hukim, which means they're laws that don't have a logical explanation, but God knows why, and we don't even have to understand why. We just know he's holy, just, good, loving, and right. We just trust him and do it anyway. How unsearchable are his judgments? How incomprehensible his ways? You know, in, incomprehensible his ways. It's that illusion thing. You know, we're blinded by what is going on, and we're like, how did that happen? And when it's revealed, where our minds are blown. For who has known the mind of Adonai? Or who has been his counselor? That's just like, that's just like Job getting the what for from God. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the world? Where were you when I spread out the constellations? Were you there? And Job's like, oh, I'm sorry, Lord. I should have kept my mouth shut. I have no idea what I was talking about. For who has known the mind of Adonai? And who has been his counselor? Or who... Has first given to him that it shall be repaid to him. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. So we have verses 33 through 36 that's quoting from 
Isaiah 40, 13, and Job 43, and in other uh, renditions of the word, 41, 11. These verses comment on how, how mind-blowing plan we discussed above and how Israel will be grafted back in um, uh, to the sacred tree. Uh, so you got the two houses, Ephraim and Judah, and they're being restored. The two sticks become one, as it says in Ezekiel 37. So being grafted in and becoming a part of the, of the chosen is a free will choice. For those who want to follow God, they become the chosen people too, in a sense. But it's their choice. Likewise, we choose by our disobedience to be broken off. So whether we wanted to be grafted in or not is our choice. That's up to us. And once we make our decision, God follows suit. He either lets us stay grafted in or he breaks us off, depending on our obedience and or disobedience. All right. Well, we, we went through that. Um, so we will not be having class next week because we're going to be away, right? So we're going to be in Ottawa. So we're going to be to this rally for life. And uh, tell everybody what you told me about how it's one of the biggest attended events. But There were almost 30,000 people at that rally last year. It is annually the largest of any kind of rally in Canada nationally every year. And you've never heard about it. No, CTV, CBC, none of those cover it. Never heard of it. That's because they're that's it's not they're spiritual powers that are committed to destroying our country. And they own the, most of the media way they science it. You have twenty to thirty thousand people every year showing up there peacefully for three hour march from downtown Ottawa into the Parliament Hill. And you won't hear anything about it. It's the biggest event in Canada every year. You'll hear nothing about it online. So we need to pray, right? And we're specifically going to kind of protest Trudeau's maid service, yes. medical assistance and dying. This is it's, the euthanasia. Well, it's it's a March 4 life. We're right. not necessarily protesting as much as we are declaring, hey, we, we want life. We, we are for babies being born not killed. We are for people getting help, not murdered. We are for, and that's, you know, the way I would... Yeah, that's a better way to put it. It's, it's not necessarily a, a... I mean, it's peaceful. It's, it's from what I've heard, it's one of the best things. But, you know, social media could be a good or a bad thing, and it's a good thing in the sense that you have armchair journalists that are using their cell phones to record what's going on to say, hey, even though CBC and CTV isn't covering this, this is happening and it's happening right now and it's being put on Rumble and YouTube and Twitter and all this. So it is getting exposure, but it's not getting exposure through the, you know, the, the rudimentary uh, kind of means or whatever. Mainstream, yeah. yeah. Mainstream media. It so. is mainstream that gets most views. I mean, people, a lot of people just won't check it. If you don't... Uh, have it put to you, you're just not going to find it usually, right? But there are alternate news source outlets like Rebel News, Rebel News covers that it. covers it. And, you know, I don't know if Newsmax or OAN, but, you know, they're they're ones that are more trustworthy than the, the main guys out there. We're, we're, so, you know, uh, I can't think of anything as far as a cause goes. I mean, we can't lose sight of the kingdom of God, God's glory being established all over God's family until glory fills the whole earth, right? And the gospel. But this is that cause that I would say, if there is a cause, if, you, if we don't, as a nation, say we are for life, not death, 
our government's for death. Mm. Yeah, now a v, like a veteran, if they call and they have a problem, they're not going to be referred. The first thing is not a referral to a psych, psychiatrist or a specialist. They're going to say, well, you know, we can give you a little cocktail and you can just end it all right now. I have a friend in Woodstock. He's a board member on the Woodstock driver steps. But they, anyway, he is a veteran and they literally offered it to him. They offered it to him. They, he was calling. He needed something to do with arthritis or whatever. But Veterans Affairs, and they offered him, they asked him if they had heard about maid service. Would they share it with him? Maybe he'd be interested. And he didn't know about, he didn't know anything about it, right? So he's like, well, again, like it's maid service. So yeah, that sounds pretty good. And he couldn't believe it. He couldn't believe it. He hung up the phone on the thing so mad. So when David was down there last Saturday night sharing with things like that, he was already aware. Yeah. Because he had already been offered basically assistance in dying. Could, David, it works full time. He's fully functional. But now we start to have a few health problems with some arthritis, which whether you're a vet or not, you may get. Uh, instead of instead of uh, what that tells me is that instead of getting help for the arthritis, and it's like, oh, would you rather like die? What's that telling me is like, you know what? Your service to Canada doesn't mean rip to us. We don't care the wars you fought or what you went through. And you know what? You're, you're just causing us too much money because we have to take care of you and fit the bill for your issues. So, yeah. So we, we need to take care of the younger people because they're our future. So let's just let you die off. How would that make you feel? Like they would, they, oh, it, 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 it's sad and it's, it's, anyway. So we won't be here next week. So next time we meet, we'll be picking up in Romans chapter 12. We will skip 13 because if you remember, I already did 13. Yeah. So we'll do 12 and then skip from 12 to 14. All right, so let's go ahead and close in a word of prayer. Uh, Lord, we thank you for the awesome things that you revealed to us today through your word and just the mind-blowing plan that you have. Like, uh, wow. I mean, it, it's 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 almost undescribable and beyond words. Words unspeakable and full of glory, as the scripture in the hymn says. Uh, so help us to, to chew on the cud of this throughout the week and just to glorify and praise you for the, for your awesome plan, not only to bring Gentiles, but to bring the chosen people back to you, Lord. And we thank you for that. And we ask, Lord, for wisdom and safety for next week as we go to this uh, uh, life rally uh, that you would just that, that, Lord, that we somehow, some way might make a difference and an impact, that it will be something that is not ignored, but exposed nationwide worldwide uh, so that our voice can be heard and that uh, we know that we're, we're standing against and, and trying to stem the tide and, and, and the, the, the fast march to the precipice as we can. We know this is the way things are going to be. We know this is prophecy being fulfilled, but it's an excuse. It's not an excuse to sit back and let it happen. We've got to fight against it, at least to slow it. Uh, so that there's a stay of execution, so there's as much mercy as possible until things finally come to an end. So, Lord, we love you and we praise you and ask these things in Yeshua's name. Amen. Amen.